coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy weekend to you as we head into the meat of Pride Month. We got great jobs numbers today. The uh, U.S. economy adding 339,000 jobs as the labor market stays durable. Unemployment rate notched up just a little bit to 3.7%, still historically low. The uh, the rise in the unemployment rate apparently coming from folks working gig economy. Some of those folks may be taking a little time off. Uh, you may have moms and dads who do some gig work that decided, well, it's summer and it's time for the summer vacation talk and spending time with the kids. So you may just see a little bit of a, 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 a blip on the radar when it comes to the unemployment rate. But check this out. Some uh, more data here. The share of people in their prime working years, the 25 to 54-year-olds, labor participation rate. Remember when that used to be the thing? When we had great unemployment numbers in the Obama president? Yeah, but the labor participation rate. Um, it's at 83.4% in the month of May. That is a number that the U.S. economy has not seen since two. 2007. On top of that, inflation is shrinking. Mm -hmm. Inflation was only 2% in February and March. Real disposable incomes rose 3.6% over the last nine months. So we're getting to the other side of the COVID Ukraine invasion shocks and things are really looking good for the U.S. economy. So here's a question, one posed by Robert Shapiro in the Washington Monthly. Why don't Americans recognize that inflation is down and incomes are up? Inflation's been on the decline for 10 months. Did you know that? Are you aware of that? If you're not a persistent, constant listener to this show, maybe you don't know that. But inflation has been on the decline, y'all, for 10 months. Jobs reports come out month after month after month since January 2021. And we keep getting positive news. Inflation was biting us hard for a little while. And now it's on the decline. Meanwhile, incomes are up. As Robert J. Shapiro writes, there's a lot of good economic news out there that the media underreports. The Biden administration and congressional Democrats need to brag more often and louder. Hear, hear, Mr. Shapiro. The latest data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis, shows, Shapiro writes, that prices for consumer goods and services, technically the deflator for personal consumption spending, increased an average of 0.2% per month in February and March of this year. On an annual basis, that comes to 2.6% inflation, or less than half the 5.6% rate in 2022. The BEA also reports that the inflation-adjusted disposable incomes of Americans per capita jumped 1.8% in the first quarter of this year, following two previous quarters of income progress. That is a sharp reversal of the 6.9% decline in 2022, driven mainly by that year's inflation. He continues, Economists know better than to trust one or two months' worth of economic numbers. Still, other data covering the last four to nine months show rapid disinflation, and healthy income gains across the economy. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, household energy bills fell 4.1% from December 22 to April this year, compared to a 6.6% increase for the same months in 2021-2022. I know, Georgia Power <laughs> consumers, I know, 
we're bracing for that increase. Still, the numbers are what they are for the first four months of this year. Similarly, he writes, food prices climbed less than 1% from December to April, or 2.8% on an annual basis compared to a 10.5% jump in 2022. Gasoline prices rose by less than 1% from last December to April, compared to an 11.4% increase over the same months in 2021-2022. Prices for all durable goods, appliances, automobiles, computers, home furnishings, and so forth, also rose barely 1% from December 2022 to April, or 3.2% on an annual basis versus price hikes of 10.5% in 2022. And businesses expect this sharp slowdown in inflation to last. A monthly survey by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta found that from January to May, business expectations for inflation one year out averaged less than 3%. Shapiro asks, why are so many Americans so off base about inflation? Psychologists say people are more sensitive to losses than comparable gains, so perhaps much of the public hasn't gotten past the significant inflation in 2021 and much of 2022. And why should they? When the mainstream media usually report inflation in ways that encourage a backward-looking view. Plus, it doesn't help that the White House has been largely silent about its slowdown. Y'all, have I not been saying for a while now the White House needs a PR push? Like, they need to market themselves better. They just do. And it can't just be POTUS wearing aviators. It can't just be that. We've got to get this word out. This is good news. The economy. Why do you think, by the way, that the right is focusing so much on drag shows and transgenderism, wokeism, as they call it? Why do you think they're focusing on that? Because the economy's doing good. They have to harp on otherism to stir up their base. Joe Biden has been bringing jobs to MAGA counties and states. Look at the green energy push happening here in the state of Georgia. Oh my, we have a governor who is giddy about electric vehicle manufacturing. (laughs) Green energy. Remember how the right had been freaking out about green energy and efforts to curb climate change? And now... Someone that the right would almost entertain running for president and definitely wants to see running for a Senate seat in 2026 is out here proudly going to ribbon cuttings for electric car makers. We all lived through a Trump presidency where the man bragged about stuff that he inherited. Remember how he bragged about the black unemployment rate, which, by the way, is lower now than it was when he was president? Remember how when he bragged about that as he inherited an economy that was roaring? An economy, by the way, that in Obama's last three years were still better than Trump's first three years pre-COVID, by the way. He was bragging about riding a tide that was actually subsiding under his watch because, you know, tax cuts, they got to put their own stamp on things and think that that's going to... And that's the other thing. These Biden economic numbers, they're not a house of cards. They're not fluff. They're not built on anything temporary. Most of the stimulus that was injected into the economy came under Trump's presidency. And by the way, that was more than two years ago. Have you not noticed that the right has stopped talking about a recession? 
Have you not noticed that? Oh, I, oh, I have. As, as, as the, the Biden presidency's economic report card continues to give us good grades, there's less talk about the R word. There's less talk about the economy in general or jobs because they don't want to point out that things are actually going really well. Consider that this global recession had been predicted pretty much since Biden put his hand on the Bible and started affirming his oath of office. Or even before then, when he was elected. I'm sorry, the election was stolen. Yeah, the recession has been predicted for so long, and it's not ha- And that's why you have Trump and DeSantis, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the entire cabal out there talking about anything but the economy. Because that's going really well. And if it's the economy, stupid, and if that's what drives voters to vote the way they do, why is the Biden presidency still underwater? Marketing. It's marketing. It, it is. It's marketing. I, I came from marketing, y'all. I used to work in radio broadcasting 28 years. You can have a great radio station. If you're not putting up billboards, if you're not advertising, you're not showing up to show how awesome you are, who's tuning in? Exactly. Nobody's paying attention to this because nobody's tooting their own horn. I mean, don't get me wrong. Biden's going to put out a tweet. He's got to state he's going to do a Oval Office address tonight on the debt ceiling. You know what? That let's talk about that too. Not only has Biden saved the American and probably global economy from the Trump COVID mess, he also just saved it from maganomics. So he's going to address the nation tonight. Nobody's going to watch that because it's Friday night. We all got other things. I'm going to, oh, my, my good friend Ash, love Ash to pieces. He and his wife decided they wanted to do a murder mystery birthday party. Sounds fun, right? Y'all, I have like six pages of stuff I have to study up on for a character that I'm playing <laughs> in, in this murder mystery party. And I'm looking forward to it. I, I really wish there were the option of, or just buy him a gift. I don't normally buy my adult friend's birthday gifts anymore, but where is that box to check? Anyway, yeah, nobody's going to watch the, the Biden thing tonight. I mean, there, there may be snippets of it on Sunday talk shows, but nobody's going to watch it. And that's just not enough. It's just not enough. Got to be talking more about how good the economy is under this presidency. Everybody's been talking about how he tripped and fell over a sandbag. That got a little bit of headway yesterday. And you know the right is eating it up. They don't want to talk about when, when W tripped and fell or fell off a stage. What was he? He, he like threw up, fell off a stage. Yeah, they don't want to talk about any of that stuff. That, that was, oh, that's guttural. Whatever. It's, it's no big deal. All I know is the old guy got up off the stage after he fell. He's going to be biking this weekend, I'm sure. And I hate bike helmets. They make everybody look goofy. They really make him look goofy. But the aviators, no, I'm just saying. The Biden presidency really needs to be marketing themselves better than they are. Because they're trailing in the polls to a man who trashed the global economy. 
who left us susceptible to a pandemic that killed more than a million American citizens. He's trailing that. A man that negotiated in Afghanistan withdrawal that was disastrous even before it became somewhat disastrous when President Biden had to oversee it. Yeah, I'm saying it could have been a lot worse. And it was bad for Biden. That was a trap set up by the former president. The former president who, polls show, leads the man who is presiding over an economy that isn't in recession, but is actually still booming. It's the marketing, man. I'm telling you, it's the marketing. And I don't know what the magic sauce is, but somebody better get in the kitchen and start throwing the ingredients together. Because as of a month ago, 67.4% of the country still believes that we're headed in the wrong track. What reality are they living in? One they're not being well marketed in. One that the media is being lazy to tell the entire story for. And right-wing pundits are there to fill the void. Gotta fix that. Back after this. Happy weekend. Welcome back to The Ron Show. So a judge Friday afternoon granting bond to Adele McLean, age 42, Marlon Scott Couts, age 39, and Savannah Patterson, age 30. Those are the three arrested Wednesday charged of charities fraud and money laundering from the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. Uh, They, of course, lead that fund, which provided bail money and helped find attorneys for arrested protesters. Magistrate Court Judge James Altman agreed to set bond of $15,000 apiece, that bond to be subject to various conditions that Altman planned to outline in a written order coming out uh, later today. I'm going to read for you uh, an account, uh, a thread from uh, writer and activist Hannah Riley. You can follow her at Hannah C. Riley with two Y's at the end. That is Hannah with an H at the start and the end. C. Riley with two Y's at the end. The three Atlanta Solidarity Fund organizers who were arrested on bogus charges, okay, she's editorializing, who were arrested on bogus charges are having their first hearing today in DeKalb County Court in front of Judge Altman. Here's a threat. Judge Altman asked if the three organizers understand the charges against them, charity fraud and money laundering. Their attorney says they understand the statute. The judge indicates that he is confused by the charges, but because another judge signed off, The judge says they should move on to bond. The prosecutor, John Fowler, says he wants to give more background. He says the defendants harbor, quote, extremist anti-government views. He's, I mean, that's not illegal. Anyway, he says the money raised has gone towards, quote, numerous violent acts around the country. The prosecutor is now talking about the uprising in 2020. That's interesting. He seems to be, as Hannah tweets falsely, attempting to link the Atlanta Solidarity Fund with what they are calling criminal actions from the summer of 2020. Very clear what the state's attempted case is here, she says. They are trying to paint this mutual aid fund as the sole funding behind the movement to stop Cop City, which of course they call terrorism. Solidarity Fund literally feeds the hungry and bails out the politically persecuted. She continues, This is sickening to watch. Grasping at straws, the prosecutor continues, they, the Solidarity Fund, were supporting the violent acts. We can tell by the reimbursements they made. He's continuing to rant about their, quote, virulent anti-establishment beliefs. It's incredibly unclear what the three organizers in the room are being accused of right now, Hannah tweets. This screed has nothing to do with money laundering. 
She continues, Jesus, all caps. They went through the trash and found one of their diaries. The prosecutor is reading from the diary right now, quote, they're finding like-minded people and radicalizing them. Hannah tweets, um, bestie, that's political action. That's not illegal. Hey, that's what I said. They radicalize people. They recruit people. Now the prosecutor talks about how they are, quote, bringing people away from their friends and family like this is ISIS. The prosecutor asks for all three to be denied bond. Hannah Riley continues to tweet, it's so surreal to hear a prosecutor talk about bail fund organizers, quote, recruiting and, quote, isolating and, quote, radicalizing people. Don Samuels, the defense attorney, now starts his response. Defense attorney asks, again, what are the details about the three people in court today? What have these specific people done? A lot of people don't like the government. That doesn't mean you have to end up in DeKalb jail, he says. $37.11 to build yard signs shows up in the warrant, the defense lawyer points out, asking, quote, what could be a more First Amendment activity than getting materials to build yard signs or giving someone a place to stay when they get out of jail? Hannah continues, sorry, this is interrupting the live thread, but I keep thinking about the, quote, diary they supposedly found in the trash and how that sounds like the most made-up thing on the planet. She gets back to the hearing thread. The judge seems to be nodding along with what the defense attorney is saying. Again, at the beginning of the hearing, he indicated some confusion at the charges as well. Defense attorney. They've been raising money for things they believe in. They should be honored for that. This is something that makes our country great, not something that people should be imprisoned for. Hannah continues. God, Adele is being kept in the medical ward, in solitary confinement, her appearance is the first time she's been out of solitary. She hasn't gotten her medication. Attorney says they, of course, don't pose any danger to the community. She then all caps. They are community organizers working for a better world, in parentheses. They don't pose a flight risk. Attorney asks that they can bond out and go back to living together if possible. The judge says he is concerned about the things the defense attorney brought up regarding the First Amendment. Quote, the line between legitimate dissent and free speech, whether or not that speech is something we like or not, I think this is a good sign. Regarding their charges, the judge says, quote, I don't find it real impressive. There's not a lot of meat on the bones of thousands of dollars going to fund illegal activities. It's a bail fund, and we're going to give them something to do with that. Judge says he will give bond to all three. Judge asks for all of their passports, also asks for regular reporting to pretrial services. They can't leave Georgia without permission. $15,000 bond. That's, that's pretty minor when you counter it with what Governor Brian Kemp was tweeting the day they got arrested. Remember what he said? They came to harass police officers and civilians, choosing destruction over legitimate protest. Today, we're proud to share that those who back their illegal actions are also under arrest and will face justice. These criminals facilitated and encouraged domestic terrorism with no regard for others, watching as communities face the destructive consequences of their actions. We will not rest until they are arrested, tried, and face punishment. going to play you some audio from an interview yesterday with Alex Joseph, who is a former state federal prosecutor and now an active opponent to the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. I have only been involved in this movement since March. Okay. I sat on the sidelines. I live about six miles from the proposed site of mm -hmm. the training facility. And I will say this, I was very much convinced 
that the people involved were radicals. And then I dug a little bit deeper. And I think there's been an effective campaign to paint this issue as far left and an effective campaign to paint the people that are involved as radicals. And for years, they have been telling us, look, we already voted to approve the project. There's nothing that can be done. And in fact, they haven't even voted on the funding. You know, the bill hasn't been paid. And so I think that some key decisions were made early on on how on the narrative on how to talk about this. And that's why you're seeing the division. And frankly, I think it's not even partisan because I think that moderate Democrats also don't want to weigh in because there has been such an effective campaign from the city to Mm. make this movement look progressive, to make this movement look out of touch. And really, when you get down to it, the people that are in the streets protesting, the people like myself that got off the couch and got involved, we got involved because we don't want a forest destroyed. It is Atlanta's largest green space. It would seem that Judge Altman in the bond hearing today isn't buying this narrative from local politicians and law enforcement either. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. By the way, a little housekeeping. Just thought I'd let you know that if you have already downloaded the America One Radio app, there's going to be an update done over the weekend that's going to uh, add some new bells and whistles and features that we're excited to bring to you. And uh, that even I can uh, make use of whenever I land like a huge guest or a big, big get interview that I want to let you guys know about, I can get that information to you ASAP. Looking forward to that. Uh, there'll, there'll be a website update at AmericaOneRadio.com as well. Really excited that, uh, that Jeremy Brazil and the staff at America One Radio are making these upgrades. And I am to this day and will continue to say grateful for the airtime. Uh, given for me to cover Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, Georgia, national, international politics from a liberal progressive bent right here from the city of Atlanta, Georgia. I want to thank him so much for giving us that opportunity. Uh, and we've uh, tried to make good use of that time, weekdays, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, to cover uh, the news uh, in and around this area and state and country as well as possible. And to give voices, to give a platform to those that feel like there is no platform in local, state, national media. I will say that ha- having been someone who kind of awoken, does that make me woke? <laughs> who kind of awoken to this reality that in a world where, and I, sh- I, I should have been, I guess, more aware of this anyway, in a world where fewer hands hold the reins to the media horses on the track, that those fewer hands limit the opportunities for more voices, more ideas to saturate the audiences that are out there. I mean, I could sit here and talk about talk radio and its bias. Radio long ago decided as an industry that they have no interest in point-counterpoint. And by the way, I've been invited to uh, go on, and I I think I'm going to make the schedule work for this uh, only because it's my hometown. Um, But I've been invited to, to, to sit on a conservative talk radio show for multiple hours. 
in, I would assume, a point-counterpoint sort of narrative. I mean, it may just be a, a feel-good catch-up session. I don't know. But uh, if, the, if, the, uh, if the host goes political, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Nonetheless, the radio industry decided a long time ago that they had absolutely no interest in point-counterpoint in doing the audio version of what CNN did. By the way, CNN, 43 years old today, and shutting down Atlanta Studios. They had a huge gathering uh, yesterday of uh, current and former colleagues and uh, faces and anchors and reporters. They, they have no interest in doing what CNN used to do. Remember Crossfire? Tucker Carlson used to be on Crossfire. John Stewart just completely manhandled him, by the way. Anyway, that used to be a routine thing. And it is a routine thing now in sports coverage. Fox Sports 1, ESPN, they have these pundit shows. And because in the sports world, you don't have a left v. right. You have geographical differences and philosophical differences on how to coach and manage a team and the way players behave and culture, counterculture. It's not as cut and dried. You can't just have team blue versus team red. But it's, it's, it's great television. It's good audience growing for the ESPNs and the Fox Sports of the world, or else they wouldn't be doing it. But radio decided that wasn't going to work for them. That once the fairness doctrine went away, the money is in placating conservatism. And I don't know when it was that liberals got away from traditional AM, FM radio. I mean, outside of NPR. And by the way, NPR does really well in ratings in many markets. Routinely here in Atlanta, the school board owned and managed WABE is an NPR affiliate. And routinely finishes in the top three, top five, sometimes number one rated station in the market. But somewhere along the way, the radio industry realized, well, that's just not profitable. Well, I guess that makes sense because a lot of deep-pocketed business owners, they're, they're deep-pocketed. Wealth almost certainly belies an intent to keep that wealth. That's a conservative tenet. This is my wealth, whether I earned it, whether others earned it for me in, in my employ, whether I inherited it, it's mine now. I possess. I don't want to let go of any of it. I want my life to be fantastic. Don't care about anybody else. I'm editorializing a little bit. But radio realized that for political dialogue, balance wasn't going to monetize. And they have seen an obscene amount of wealth in talk radio. Liberals tried it. They tried the uh, Air America, was it? I mean, that's, that's where Rachel Maddow sort of first burst onto the national scene, right? Jerry Springer was on it. I thought that was strange. 
uh, who uh, the, the the guy that was the the senator from Minnesota. God, his name eludes me now, but he was on Saturday Night Live. Stuart Smalley. <laughs> That's his character's name. That's not <laughs> Al Franken. Whew. My God, Al Franken. How did I forget his name? That just happens to me from time to time. Sometimes you'll picture somebody, you'll know all about them, and you'll be like that person. Yeah, I think Al Franken was uh, one of the pioneers when it came to liberal talk radio, and it's still not a it's still not a thing. You can't find progressive talk on the AM or FM dial just about anywhere. And I'm in Atlanta, a pretty liberal area in the state of Georgia. Most of Metro Atlanta's more populous counties, blue. Fulton is blue. Gwinnett is blue. DeKalb is blue. Cobb is blue. Clayton is blue. Douglas, blue. Henry County. If it's not completely blue, it's getting there. But you look up and down the radio dial. WSB is a conservative talk magnet. There's a, a, a rim shot signal at 106.3 uh, on the north end. We're all of the, by the way, conservative castoffs from the old days of WGST and 750, the ones that just sort of talked themselves out of jobs over the years or disappeared or became relics. That's where they are now. And, and to, to, to give you an idea of how crotchety and thin-skinned <laughs> they've become. Neil Bortz has managed to block me on my two Twitter accounts because I guess if I chimed in on one of his tweets and made some sense, he just couldn't handle that. Both Twitter accounts, both. I just, Neil Bortz does not exist on Twitter as far as I know. So here we are, you and I, on an online radio station that streams from its website and on an app and by the way, if you're wondering, if you're sitting there in your car or at your home or in your office listening and you're like, am I the only one that listens to this guy every day? Am I the only one that listens to this station every day? Uh, no. No, you're not. There are hundreds, hundreds listening to this show at any one time. And the good news is, if you're an advertiser, you definitely want to hear this. The good news is, People tune in and stay with the station. Like I pick up Randy Rhodes' audience and then I hand it off to whatever's on after me and it changes from day to day and on the weekends it's different too. This show airing on the weekends, so can't get too specific. But yeah, th this is kind of where... And, and here's the thing. Because we are stream only, like we can legitimately tell any potential advertiser well, here's who's listening. This is how many people listen. With radio, it's still a guessing game. They make you wear these uh, these little beepers. I mean, how 21st century is this, right? They make you wear these little hip things, these little hip beepers that keep tabs on the audio that's coming out of the speakers near you. That's literally what... And, and there's... I, I used to call it gold dust because you... It, if if you've got if you if you don't live in a major market and then you come into a major market and you're listening to a station and you're like, what is that? It sounds like like a dull roar of cymbals in the background. That's what I, I call it gold dust because that's that's the, the 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 dust that they put in the audio 
that helps those devices differentiate between the radio stations. You think I'm kidding. That's legitimately how they call them portable people meters, PPM. Atlanta is a PPM market. The major cities are PPM markets. I want to say it's like top 25, maybe some of the top 40 markets in the country. PPM markets. (laughs) So they're giving you a guesstimate because they'll let a few hundred people in Metro Atlanta carry those for a stretch of time. And then those folks have to turn them in. And then those meters get handed out to another batch of people. And the demographics change. And uh, the data, of course, will, will swing wildly. That's why, you know, some people will be celebrating in one radio company. Well, oh, we just, got, uh, we just got a demographic that's really hitting our wheelhouse. You know, the classic rock folks, they like it when the suburbs and exurbs get those PPM devices. <laughs> and uh, the folks uh, at WVEE. Oh, they love it when it, you know, it'll, it'll hit, it'll hit a high density urban area, uh, but it's, it's such an imperfect science with us. We, we tell you like, well, this is how many people listen. This is not an estimate based on a few hundred people throughout all of Metro Atlanta. This is the number of people that listen. And for this station and for this show, that audience continues to consistently grow. I, and again, I'm just going to thank you for that. That's it's incredible, and it's it's a testament to uh, to what the folks at uh, America One Radio, and, uh, guided by Jeremy Brasile, has um, has put together. They they planted a seed, and look, there's sprouts coming out of the ground. And up oh, is that a is that a is that a little up? Oh, is there something edible there? <laughs> so it's really encouraging that. We're able to do this show five days a week on a platform that isn't going away. I mean, Ford Motor Company was just about to get rid of the AM radio band in its entertainment device. By the way, how many of you drive a car that's been built in the last three to five years? How many of you even know how to get to AM? See, it's, it's, I have a Mazda, it's a 2019. And I, I, it, it took me a while to find AM on that bad boy. And I don't even know why I have it. Oh, I know why I have it. Because the sports talk station I listen to has an FM signal that I can hear pretty well until I can't. Like when I get south of the airport, that's when I got to go to the AM. And I was like, let me find the AM. So I found the AM and it's kind of the backup of the FM that I listen to. You don't have to go through that. You don't have to go through that (laughs) with online radio or your podcast. Even if you're listening on the podcast platform, God bless you for that. Certainly appreciate that. One of these days that might even monetize. Who knows? But I'm not in it for the money. That's the point. This is not something I do for the money. If this becomes something that makes money for me, that I'm able to do and devote my full time and attention to, well, hell's bells. If you if you think this show's pretty good now, wait until it pays my bills. Oh no, then you're going to understand how passionate I am, not just about this craft, but about my views and the direction I foresee for this city and for this state and this country. I don't do it for the money, which I think, and I hope you think, lend some legitimacy to my views. I'm not doing this for advertisers. I don't have to craft what I say for advertisers. What you get, you get from me in a legitimate manner. This, what I say, 
I completely and vehemently believe. And you listen long enough, you may even hear my philosophies evolve a bit. It's Pride Month. I've evolved. I'm a gay man, and even I've evolved on issues of the LGBTQIA+. When I was in college, I didn't get drag shows. And I still, I don't know, they're okay. I'm not crazy about them. But I believe in the right for people to do the damn things. It's, it's First Amendment expression, right? I didn't fully understand the transgender community as a younger adult gay man. But I certainly understand what bullying's like, and I understand that you are who you say you are. And I'll be damned, I'm always going to stand up for people who want to live their true self, their life as their true self. I guess I say all this to say, I can't thank you enough for believing in this show, tuning in as often as you do, and for listening on the America One Radio app at AmericaOneRadio.com. And I am completely indebted and grateful to Jeremy Brazil for giving this show an opportunity on those platforms. Back after this. Final segment for The Ron Show for the week. It is Pride Month. I'm gay, by the way. So is this bumper music. No, it's... I like it. It's kind of wistful, right? Happy-go-lucky. Anyway, for Pride Month, as we did for Black History Month, and as we did for Women's History Month, I think in March, decided I'm going to do something kind of unique for each day that we're on the show. And for Pride Month, instead of gay history, I thought I'd offer some conversation starters. For example, when you, someone who's straight, might say, I don't mind gay people as long as they act straight in public. I want you to hear how it sounds when I say the exact opposite. Well, I don't mind straight people as long as they act gay in public. Right? Doesn't that cross you as like, well, how do I act gay in public? How can I be different than what I am? Exactly. As a gay person, when I hear somebody say that, and by the way, I don't think I get clocked all that often in public. I don't. My gay friends will poke fun at me sometimes that I don't really dress sharply enough to be gay. Um, I don't have a certain walk. I'm unmarried, so I'm not holding anybody's hands right now. Not even dating, sadly. Um, I like my cats. I take my Oldest cat for a walk occasionally. That that might be kind of gay. That that might be, oh that that guy's walking his cat. That's kind of. I don't think that that action is gay, but that might that might out me. Nonetheless, it's not something that I've ever really worried about. But I do understand how some of the LGBTQ plus can take offense to the notion that they act gay in public. It's sort of insulting to insist that they try and be something that they're not. It sounds absurd to say, I don't care if you're straight, just act gay in public, right? It's nuts. So think about that. If it occurs to you to say this, maybe stop, adjust your mindset, okay? And so since we're in day two, I thought I'd give you another one. If you ever say this or hear somebody say this, you got to correct them. I don't care if they're together. I just don't want them being affectionate in front of my kids. Um, can I ask why that's a problem? Are you afraid it's going to turn your kid or kids gay? So consider that most of us gay folk were overly saturated with imagery and action, whether by film or theater, song, in person, 
And such exposure to heterosexuality on full display in front of us had no impact on how our sexuality was. So if your kid's going to be gay or bi, they were going to arrive at that conclusion regardless of seeing Uncle Tommy and Uncle Bobby kissing or holding hands at the family picnic. What your kids are impacted by is seeing your reaction to Uncle Tommy and Uncle Bobby. If your kid happens to be gay or bi, don't think for a second that it will not add to their fear in coming out to you. I tell people that all the time when they act all bigoted on social media, and it's prevalent. To be careful what you say around your kids who might themselves be gay, bi, or trans. I, I'm not going to lie, and I'm not mad at my family, but I grew up in the 80s. Taking pot shots at obviously gay people. We, we had, uh, was it Tim? I think it was Tim who worked in the deli at Kroger on Wrightsboro Road. Oh, honey. <laughs> and I, I loved Tim. He used to slip us extra salami. See, there's, there's jokes to be written, but I'm not going to go there. And then Randy. Randy was my mom's hairstylist after Kathy Joe left the J.B. White salon. Anyway, mom went to Randy. Randy was with Tim. Not Tim from the deli at Kroger, but a different Tim. I'm sure they knew each other. Um, <laughs> Randy became my grandmother's hairstylist until she passed. Randy was fat. Is. I still know Randy. Randy is fabulous. Love Randy. Randy had the 70s gay porn mustache. Does he still? I have to check him on Facebook. Like, he was rocking that through the 90s. I remember that. He didn't care. He was Randy. Anyhow, being that quietly closeted, not yet out gay kid in the 1980s and 90s, there were things that were said in jest. We loved them. We loved him in the deli at Kroger. So nice. We adored Randy. There were still things that were being said in close circles in our family that I recall and impacted my ability, I'm sure, to be honest with my family about my sexuality. So I tell people that all the time. Like, check your bigotry. Filter what you're thinking and saying, because if you even have just the passing thought, just something that your kid said or did or, 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 or what they're enamored by, what they like to play with, if you even have just one passing, and I was a baseball playing, dirt bike riding, sports car was my first official car that I loved to pieces. Went camping with my friends on the weekends. Guy, you wouldn't have known. My mom knew she had an idea. She had an idea. When I came out, she said, mother's instinct. I also had like a lot of my male friends. I didn't really realize this until she asked me. She said, did you realize that all of your male friends in high school were attractive? My first thought was, mom, why do you think high school boys are? No, she just said, like, they're all good looking fellas. I'm like, oh, never really thought about it that way. So if you're a friend of mine from back in high school and you're hearing this, mom thought you were attractive. 
And obviously, I must have subliminally as well. Sorry, didn't exactly uh, tell you. But then again, you would have kicked my ass. So. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying, careful what you say and do, what you post on social media, in and around your kids. Because if it's even possible, if you just that passing thought that little Jimmy might be, what if he is? Yeah, what if he is? And what did you say that sticks with him if he is? So June is, uh, you know, a month to show pride for not just our sexuality, but our survival of that kind of upbringing and the bigotry and the biases that we had to overcome to become proud of who we are. And so I want to spend a little time on my show each day this month letting you know why pride is. It's not about being proud that what we do behind closed doors in our bedrooms. It's about existing, surviving, even thriving. Back here Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Thanks for listening to The Ron Show. We'll see you then. Now give me some of that game music. Let's go out on a high note.